That's a very graceful finger entrance there from Jordan Klein. Welcome everybody to the NFL wildcard preview slash review from last season. Plus week 18, we're going to be looking at everything here because uh, my buddy over here at Shit My Money DFS, Adam Scherer, he ended up taking down second in the $12 afternoon slate yesterday, which is a great prequel into another short slate that we're going to be having for this weekend. So congratulations, Adam. How you doing this morning? Thanks, man. Uh, doing pretty well. You know, being the first loser doesn't feel great, but it still pays pretty well. So I uh, can't, can't complain too much. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I would say that I don't have experience. I literally got a second and it was like a 75K gap last Wednesday between first and second. It's like one rebound was the difference between that. Why it's God? so hard, like, and obviously it's stupid. And like, when you play as much as we do, like you have to not do it or you'll drive yourself crazy. But like, it's so hard when you get like second place, not to just like analyze every one play that could have gone your way and obviously ignore all the ones that, you know, did go your way. Um, but yeah, like that was, I, I finished, you know, 0.3 points out of first for 130K difference. <laughs> I had Gabe Davis who like, I knew at like the whole time, like he, nobody had me had him. Uh, they threw it to him on the three and he lost two yards. So at the time, I was like, shit, if he gets in the end zone, I win. Now looking back, it's like, if he just gets a yard, I win. Um, But, you know, obviously, there's a million. Like, I also went from third to second on the uh, final Higby catch before the interception to end that game. So, like, you know, it it all goes, it all all evens out. But I do know that had that game not gone to overtime at all, I would have won, which is slightly annoying. And I do know that Juwan Jennings is probably your least favorite player in the NFL now. Yes, he is. He was not in the winning line. He wasn't in the, the lineup that came in first. He was in the one that came in third that I jumped at the end. But Debo Samuel was in the lineup in first, and he got some extra overtime points. So, um, And, and first also had Higby. So, um, yeah. Well, regardless. Not, not a huge Jennings fan at the moment. Yeah, but, you know, regardless, it was a fantastic W here by you. Second place in the afternoon slate. And once again, this was a six-gamer. Uh, we're going to be covering more of, like, the three-gamer stuff when we go to the wild card round. Uh, reviews when we start taking a look at some of the stuff from last season because we want to get you guys set to go this weekend. Saturday, there'll probably be a Millie. Sunday, there'll probably be a Millie. That's what happened last season. I know that there's a six-gamer that's going to wrap around here, but looking at this, we had E-Parachute there who ended up taking first. He's the he's the bane of your existence. Nice little one-lineup bink. That must be fun. I'm not going to lie. That must be fun. Have you ever done it? Uh, I've never won lineup think I've like five lineup think I did it once that I remember for sure uh, like a few years ago um, in the slam on FanDuel in NBA and it was just so yeah. fun like uh, just yeah threw one lineup in made fun of how shitty the contest structure was how top heavy it was threw one lineup in got first place was like oh this is a great structure I did that last year do you remember I, I played like one I made fun of the prize structure on Twitter and I ended up getting third for like 4,000 with 100K went to first. I was yep. like, oh my God, it was the most painful experience ever. Yep. These this is a good single lineup too. I, I liked this guy's lineup. Yeah. So looking at the lineup here, uh, again, I'm, I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, man. Uh, Why is this not coming up for me? I know it's going to come up on the screen here by the time that I look at it, but whatever. We've got it. Russell Wilson, Devin Stingletary, James Conner, Debo Samuel, Freddie Swain, Tyler Lockett, Nice little one-two combo there. That 1.3%, 9.5 score from Freddie Swain doesn't seem like it matters, but what it did was it got salary relief to go double tight end here. Gronkowski hit all of his incentives. USAA money confirmed a thing, but also contract incentives confirmed a thing. Quick way to make a couple mil, or you know, in this case, like one mil. Tyler Higby 
and then the Dolphins defense. And you definitely needed that Dolphins defense with that ridiculous, ridiculous last play of the game. It was always going to finish that way. But Adam, you said you liked the lineup. What do you like most about it? Yeah, I, I liked the being able to get a viable but still like contrarian stack with Wilson, Swain, and Lockett. Like Wilson at eight percent, he he, I was really overweight on him too. I, I just liked getting there, um, getting the other side of the really popular Arizona stack. But uh, mixing in Swain, I mean, like he's not likely to succeed, but it's not like he's some totally random thing that that happened. Getting him for cheap and at one percent, and kind of just putting yourself in the situation where it's like I have a bunch of really good plays. If Freddie Swain happens to get into the end zone, I win two hundred k. Like especially if you're playing one lineup, I, I think that's always a really interesting approach. Is like having that one piece where it's like, all right, as long as this thing happens, if Freddie Swain scores mm-hmm. a touchdown, then I have a good chance. Um, that That's if you were like hand building one lineup in these large field tournaments, I always liked um, taking some sort of a stand like that, where you're not doing something where, you know, it's like, Oh, if these three guys get hurt, then I win. But you know, it's something that realistically could happen, even if it's pretty unlikely to happen. Uh, getting 1% on Freddie Swain in that stack, I thought was a pretty good way to go. Yeah, it's a massive point of leverage, and that kind of leads us over to your lineup here where there's nobody other than Russell Wilson that's sub-10%, but in terms of the lineup construction, I thought that Mike Mike Evans was a phenomenal play for whatever reason. Nobody was talking about him, and this is an afternoon six-gamer. He's only 11%, and we're talking about Tom Brady pretty much guaranteed to be playing that entire game. The two-seed is a big deal. And, and looking at this lineup, Russell Wilson, Devin Singletary, James Conner, Gabriel Davis, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, Tyler Higby, Rashad Penny with his massive breakouts there towards the end. I don't think the last guy had Rashad Penny, which is kind of surprising to get 28 fantasy points out of him there. I thought that all three of those running backs, yeah, they were chalky-ish, but like Rashad Penny, 15.5%. Maybe people didn't know that, that Seattle was going to be playing straight up in that game, and they absolutely did here. And the Dolphins' defense... Talk me through a little bit of what you like about this lineup. Uh, yeah, the guy ahead of me definitely didn't have Penny because I was very upset when the Seahawks knelt out the clock at the end. One yard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I was pretty happy with this lineup. You have the Wilson to lock it piece. Um, Penny, this is something that I know we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, on smaller slates, obviously, I wouldn't have cared anyway. But in the past, I used to not really want to have the quarterback running back pairings outside mm-hmm. of very specific guys. But I've really eased up on that recently because – you know, there's enough plays like in a game. Most teams play fast enough now where um, if the offense is moving the ball, you just get situations where uh, the running back does well, the quarterback and receiver do well. So that's one way that I think um, not, you know, people are still sort of hesitant to do it. And so you can kind of just be contrarian by, by going that way to some extent. Uh, so I was happy with the Seattle stack, run it back with Connor, uh, had Higby over Ertz, which, you know, Ertz was a really, really good play. Gronk was a really good play. It made it so Higby was relatively low owned, got a piece of that Rams offense without going to the very popular cup. Uh, Mike Evans, uh, I'm with you. Like it was kind of interesting. I had on the main slate, I had a couple of my best lineups um, had Evans too. Mm-hmm. And what, every time I would look at it, I would kind of write it off and just be like, oh, Mike Evans probably isn't going to have a big game, but you know, he was low owned and the upside was obviously there. So it was nice to see him come through Gabriel Davis. I had a lot of on this slate uh, would have been nice if he had, you know, gotten into the end zone, but yeah, I was pretty happy with the stack, you know, just got that Seattle stack that I'd mentioned before. I really liked on this slate, you know, 8% owned Wilson compared to 20% owned Kyler Murray. I think it was uh, still getting, you know, exposure to that game. Got uh, th- this lineup happened to have Singletary. I was like half the field on him overall. But where you're going to go to a popular guy like Singletary, I thought this was the type of lineup you want it to be in. You know, having a relatively mm-hmm. low owned stack, 
uh, having the relatively low on Davis and Higby. There's no reason not to have um, the more popular Singletary in a lineup like that. Agreed. And for me, this is just kind of a, we want to bookmark this a little bit just because you don't have to get stupid to build a winning lineup in some of these smaller slates. Like you just don't have to get so off the board. I think, you know, Freddie Swain isn't even that crazy of a play when you really think about it in retrospect. And sure, he was super, super low owned. But even then looking at your lineup, 8.5% is the lowest piece that we have in the entire thing. You were unique. There were no issues, you know, in terms of cumulative ownership, 168.2%. Looks like that's just about what everybody was here near the top. 160.8, 169.2. So people obsess over a lot of the wrong things, I think. It's simply finding a path where, yeah, you talked about if this thing happens. Well, what happened again was the exact same thing that happened with Alex. Seattle put the hammer down. You had your stack, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett, and then you had Penny. You just needed multiple touchdowns from that grouping. You got multiple touchdowns from that grouping. Therefore, you won money. So congratulations, Adam. Anything else you want to add to this? Uh, just a, someone had asked about the run back and I do have Connor, but um, I don't force run backs either. Like I, I prefer them and I would like most of my lineups to have them. But I also, I mean, you can make this lineup like you can change James Connor here to, I don't know, another running back. Um, and I still would like this lineup. Uh, a part of the reason, you know, that I had Connor is I just thought he was a great play. But um, just to kind of answer that, like run backs are good. I don't think that they're necessarily requirements. All right, absolutely. Now let's jump on ourselves jump ourselves over to the Millie for this week. Quickly go over that. I heard a sub might have been the guy who took it down. Jay Blake the King. So uh, I didn't see it on Twitter. Did he tag you on Twitter? No, I saw it in Discord. Oh, uh, in Discord. That's fantastic. I love when we have uh when we have subs that just take massive, massive wins. Well, a million dollars counts as a massive win. Absolutely love that. By the way, hit the like button, subscribe button, notification bell, but specifically smash that like button here as Adam is breaking down. All of the ins and outs here from week 18. And, you know, again, 70K win for the guy over there. He knows his stuff. So uh, definitely smash that here for it. But we've got Jay Blake, the king here. Lots of uh, massive pieces that we had of, of chalk on this slate. It was a, it was a wonky slate. It was always going to be a wonky slate here. But uh, we his first place lineup, Matthew Stafford, Antonio Gibson, James Conner, Chase Claypool, Jawan Jennings, Tyler Lockett, Tyler Higby, Cooper Cup, Dolphins. We got the double. We've got the run back. We've got a lot of good stuff here in this lineup. What do you think about the overall construction? I liked it. Um, outside of, going to be honest, I had no idea who the hell Juwan Jennings even was. Like the only Juwan reason I'd, Jennings. The only reason I'd heard of his name going into this slate was because I had to adjust stuff in my Excel sheet to make up for him breaking it because <laughs> I didn't know who he was. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously came through like good play, uh, but. Um, Stafford, Cop, Higby, you know, nice stack there. Uh, who are they playing? Oh, they're I don't playing know. Brandon. It just I, all my brain is going to is how much do they hate Brandon Ayuk? Right. Um, like they hate Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Uh, so ran it back with Jennings. Obviously, that worked out very, very well. Um, so yeah, like like the stack, like the game got to the locket Connor. You know, sort of both just good plays anyway, but also some positive correlation there. It never hurts. Uh, Claypool, Gibson, both guys that looked fine. I mean, you had Claypool uh, in a game where Pittsburgh had to win. Uh, we know the upside that he brings. Gibson, you assumed, was going to play a good amount, even though Washington had nothing to play for. We know the upside that he brings, and he was relatively low-owned. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a really good lineup. Really good lineup. 0.2% Juwan Jennings. That is so beautiful. 
Uh, he's been, he was the wide receiver too in relief when he had Sam, Samuel out there for a hot second. And he ended up kind of being somebody that was very serviceable. And of course, just a massive, massive game from him there. Again, nothing even like remotely close in the box score from him earlier, but maybe it was one of those considerations where you're going into that late night hammer um, or the afternoon hammer in this event. And you're kind of piecing together what needs to break right. And well, if Jawan Jennings catches a touchdown, maybe the rest of this lineup can go. He had the Gibson piece in the early window, and that definitely came to fruition. Uh, he was just breaking the boom bust tool. Just, you know, we're not going to go over a ton of everything that happened uh, from last week like we normally would. But uh, talk to me a little bit about your running back consideration. I know James Conner was in that winning lineup of yours on an afternoon slate, but did you like Antonio Gibson, James Conner? Who were some of the guys that stood out to you most on yesterday's slate? Uh, yeah, pulling it up now because I don't even really remember who I played. I know I had a good amount of Gibson. Um, he just, you know, again, he was relatively low owned, looked like he was going a little bit under owned. Um, so, yeah, got there, had a lot of David Montgomery, which I didn't really love and obviously didn't work out, but uh, it was just a good price point. I thought James Conner was a really good play. Like, he was questionable going in, but seemed likely he was going to to play. And if he did, you had Edmonds out. Uh, so, I really liked getting there at relatively low ownership. Um, I had a good amount of Sony Michelle getting, you know, exposure to the Rams. Obviously, with Akers being back, it made him riskier, but uh, still, you know, I thought that was a decent spot to take a chance. So, um, got got to those guys a good amount. But yeah, I was over on Gibson. I had like 16%. I had some Keyshawn Vaughn at 19%. Did anybody win good money with Amendola, Steven Leibowitz? I don't think so. Um, I weirdly, weirdly brought his name up on Live Before Lock and not in any kind of context of you should play him. It was more of just a remark about something that he felt like the, the, the type of player Tom Brady would throw to quite. We were trying to figure out if serial Grayson night was a thing. Well, it surely was not when somebody gets hurt right off the bat and doesn't catch passes. Man, I should have just problem. loaded up on the guys that I had to like add in their ownership and stuff yesterday. Cause uh, Amendola, <laughs> like when I, when I first put my stuff in Excel, I'm getting errors and it's like, Oh, you're missing data on Amendola. Oh, you're missing data on Juwan Jennings. So I had to like go back and fix stuff. And I should. It was God it. trying to give you the winning lineup yeah, exactly. and you didn't take it. I wish I could have done this show. Like, oh, yeah, I won a million dollars. I left 3K on the table. I played Danny Amendola and Jawan Jennings. Um, I had an epiphany about an hour before lock. <laughs> I saw the white lights and ended up just following them into the sunset. Here we are. Uh, but, yeah, I just – I like the Millie Maker lineup. I, congratulations once again, Jay Blake the King. That is really, really well done. Uh, looks like it was a lot of single bullets right behind him. J-Mac 52, Lollard 27, Owl Day 123, Poker 1953, Baseball Guy 197625. That is very specific. Just put your social in your DK <laughs> tag. That's fantastic. But uh, well done by everybody there. Legitimately, a 150 max wins it and five single entry bullets behind it. Pretty cool to see, um, but well done. Jay Blake the King, uh, sub here at Osmo. Well, well done. Uh, that's really kind of all we wanted to do here for this week because we want to get you guys prepared for Saturday, for Sunday, for the entire weekend here. And that is going to be us reviewing everything coming up here. But before we do, check out our Osmo Plus tools and content here. $29.95 gets you in the door here for the weekly pass, but you will get 25% off when you use promo code NFL Strategy Show, all caps, one word, NFL Strategy Show for 25% off that first week of Awesome with Plus Platinum. Activated in the coupon of the description of this box below, or if you're looking to just play NFL DFS, sign up. $3.95 for the weekly package, but I'm telling you right now, 
if you've checked out all of the tools, the boom bust tool for the NBA, the top golfers tool for the PGA, the top fighters tool for the MMA, we have the projections, the premium discord, all the things, all the fixings, $29.95, but 25% off with promo code NFL strategy show. Stop guessing, start winning, join Osmo plus today. All right. Well, I'm excited for this portion because again, I got murdered this this Sunday, and so I'm therefore looking forward to this wild card round this weekend, trying to get recoup some losses here. We got to talk some short slates, and we're going to do that by way of the millionaire, millionaire maker from Saturday. It was a three-gamer last season. We had the Colts and Buffalo, Tampa Bay and Washington, and the Rams and Seattle. So if you guys want to play along at home with us, this is the 2020, uh, well, it's technically 2020 season, but 2021 was week 18 here. We are looking at those three games. We are looking at the millionaire maker for that right from the get-go. If you group by fantasy points, you saw Josh Allen, Taylor Heineke. Those were the two quarterbacks on the top end. And it looks like there's a little bit of, you know, there, there's some spots where you can kind of get to there. But Taylor Heineke, 1.5% ownership compared to Josh Allen's 61.9%. Now, Taylor Heineke kind of got put into a relief role in this game. If anybody remembers correctly, it was kind of a, a last second ad where he ended up having to be the guy to go. Alex Smith could not play. Yeah, just said Alex Smith, everybody. But Josh Allen still got there as mega chalk. So on these three gamers, starting with the quarterback position, Adam, when you see this Saturday or Sunday in the Millionaire Maker that there are going to only be six quarterbacks to choose from, how do you go about deciding who you want to stack up the most? Um, I mean, it's kind of the same approach as bigger slates, just with less options to choose from. But it's still, at the end of the day, it comes down to trying to build good lineups that are under-owned relative to the chances of success um, and, you know, giving yourself a chance to win. So the numbers change. I mean, you're going to naturally, on a three-game slate, have more exposure, like, in terms of raw numbers to to, to everybody, but like to your top 10 guys, but um, it still kind of just comes down to, you know, like using the examples here, if Josh Allen is projected for 25% ownership, but has a 40% chance of being the top quarterback, I'm still going to play a lot of Josh Allen. If Taylor Heineke is projected for 10%, but only has a 5% chance. Yeah. He's lower owned, but I'm probably going to prefer getting to, you know, Josh Allen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think the general concepts are the same. It's just that, uh, you know, the, the numbers change. Yep. The numbers change. And so crazy to see Cam Akers who towards the end of last season had kind of won the Rams backfield. Well, he's back. He's back life here. Uh, Sony Michelle, of course, exists. And you have uh, Daryl Henderson, who I think exists. I don't know if he actually does anymore, but Cam Akers uh, absolutely smashed and was the must have piece there. Looks like both Josh Allen and Cam Akers had a little bit lower projected ownership than what they ended up having. It looks like some of these popular plays really uh, got boosted up. But as you said, if they still have a high out or high chance of, of finishing in that winning lineup, happy to get to pieces of chalk like this here on short three game slates. You've obviously done really, really well figuring out your running back exposures. Uh, I mean, how many, I don't know how many of these shows we've done where you've smashed on afternoon slates, including today's, which was a six gamer, but still mainly it's always been like three, four gamers we've covered and even smashed. How do you go about putting together your running back pool, especially when it looks like this was the most popular running back you had here on this slate, aside from Jonathan Taylor, who we'll get to? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of the same thing as with the stacks. Like, you're still just trying to get on their own guys. Um, but, you know, you do also, you're, you're factoring in correlation as well. Um, so a lot of times what will end up happening is 
if let's say I'm getting to a little bit lower owned quarterback because I think that they're going on their own, a lot of times it'll kind of end up being like the opposing running back. I'll end up heavier on them than the field too, just because like I'm getting to that, that sort of build a little bit more. Um, but it's still kind of the same, you know, general concept. I think that you're, everything's all relative, right? Like I, I don't want to change my strategy too much. You know, I, I will say ownership, raw ownership does play maybe a little bit bigger role on smaller slates just because the numbers get higher. You know, like on a, a full 13 game slate, you're typically not going to get anybody at an ownership number where you're just like, okay, if I fade this guy and he has a bad game, that alone is putting me in the money and giving me a chance to, to win. You can start to get those on, on shorter slates. But overall, I think the, the general concept is, is the same. Um, like the field is still going to – when you think about what the field is going to do and how you can kind of exploit that, you're going to see the same trends. And you just kind of mentioned it when you talked about the projected ownership on Josh Allen and Akers versus where they ended up. Um, one thing that we've seen – really in all sports in DFS recently, but but certainly in football too, is the best plays in terms of, you know, point per dollar projections are just have been really, really popular this year. And so on main slates, you know, maybe that means they get to 40% uh, instead of 30 where they used to be. Now maybe it's going to be 60 on a three-gamer instead of 40, but it still allows you as someone trying to win these tournaments to know that the second best plays, the third best plays are just naturally going to be even a little bit lower owned than they would have been in the past because more people are just plug and playing with optimizers and and throwing in the top projected lineup. So um, it kind of just gives you, I think, even a little bit more incentive to just go to the second, third best plays and hope to run good. Yeah, NBA especially. I can't remember. Generally, I have a really good barometer for, well, barometer is not the right word. I have a really good gauge of where people are going to come in for ownership. And this year has been the first year that I've just had to inherently in the back of my mind, add 15% to the mega chalk. Like I've just had to, in the back of my mind say, well, I I know that in 2019, this number would have been 55% on DeMarcus Cousins. I know it's going to be like 70% because the field's gotten sharper. You can't just jam and expect leverage that way now. Yeah, exactly. And I was having this conversation with somebody on uh, Twitter the other day. I actually, as a tournament player, prefer it this way. It Mm -hmm. makes it so that, you know, yeah, the the average cash line is going to be higher. Typically, you know, the the turn the score to win is going to be higher, but I actually prefer knowing that if I'm going to like the third best play, I am going to get him at an ownership discount as opposed to like in years past where you would be like, okay, well the field's going to be here. So I'll go here. And then it turns out that like the guy that you thought was the best play is 25% and the guy you played is 22%. And it's just like, damn it. Why didn't I just jam in the other guy? Now, at least you're getting like, you're getting your money's worth. Basically. Um, mm-hmm. I actually prefer that as a tournament player. And I think that um, you can, you're, you're at least like getting the payoffs that you signed or that you think you're signing up for basically when you go in, as opposed to it just being like, damn, I wish the field had did, you know, done what they should have done. Yeah. And there's times where you end up pivoting. And I, I would say that you might have more losing days in the middle of things, but when you're right, when, when the field is wrong, you're getting paid off more of the time. Like that's yeah. the name of the game. Yeah. And on a side note, I'm really hoping that carries over into baseball season. <laughs> I am really Really hoping it does as well. Uh, just have Boston be 45% every single slate. That right. would be incredible. Or, you know, I, I mean, careful what you wish for. We had that Yankee season where they could not fail at <laughs> Mega Chalk every freaking day. But I digress. Let's get back into it here. 
This is a three-gamer. Once again, you had a 50-and-a-half total of 45 and a 42-and-a-half. And and, surprise, the 50-and-a-half game went completely bonkers with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs being the must-have combination of pairings. And they were the two most popular plays on the entire slate. So things are going to happen like that where you can combine some chalk and surround them with everybody. I think this is kind of a good spot to jump into the exact lineups and how people were constructing them, specifically the winners, because what do we want to do? We want to teach you how to go about winning on this wild card round for some of these small slates. Looking at MLB pros, he ended up taking down this tournament last season. Josh Allen, Cam Akers, Leonard Fournette, DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs, Michael Pittman, Logan Thomas, Chris Godwin, Rams. All right, I'm just listing off names. I get it, but... The major thing that I have to take from this is it was QB, wide receiver, with a run back. It was a pretty straightforward deal. And if you go to the stacks portion here, the most popular stacks that were actually used, uh, so right next to overview, we have stacks, QB, two wide receivers with a run back, 12.3% of the field utilized that. QB, two wide receiver, two opposition, 9.7%. It was actually the third most popular way to build which just kind of goes against everything I think about because I always think people skinny stack to beginning uh, to begin with and then run back. But in this event, this was the third most used stack here, quarterback wide receiver with a single bring back. Now every slate is different. This weekend's three gamers will be different than this season's three gamers. But what do you kind of think about when you see just a skinny being the third most utilized stack combination in this tournament? I think it makes sense. I think there's been a strong push in the industry to over the last couple of years that, you know, basically uh, good players use two wide receivers and, you know, I I think it's kind of gotten overblown, but um, yeah, it's not too surprising me. What really does stand out. And I mentioned this earlier when we talked about my team that came in second yesterday, 12%. So we have 12% of stacks going quarterback, wide receiver, wide receiver, opponent, 4% going quarterback, running back, wide receiver, opponent, if the team is moving the ball, like, yes, there is stronger core. There's, there's more positive correlation between your quarterback and two wide receivers, but it's very, very easy to get a game where the same wide receiver catches two touchdowns and then a running back runs it in and has, you know, like a hundred rushing yards. That's just so easy to do, especially if the team's moving the ball and you're naturally making a little bit more contrarian lineups by doing the quarterback running back wide receiver thing, because people just, focus more on the the pass catching. So um, that's something where, you know, again, it's not my favorite stack, but if I'm going to kind of get it to myself while everyone else does other stuff, I'll take it every time. Yeah. And looking at this, it is all the way till, I don't know, forever until you get to any kind of a combination with quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Looks like quarterback, running back, wide receiver with two runbacks was the next most. So yeah, 4% people utilize QB running back, wide receiver with the run back. You're looking at less than one in 20. And again, every slate is different, but hard for me to not see that kind of a combination, especially when you had a guy like Jonathan Taylor exist on this slate where that wouldn't happen more frequently. But I suppose that speaks to just how chalky Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen were on this slate. You got to remember, this was like almost a historic season for, for Stefan Diggs leaving Minnesota, just absolutely smashed immediately for Buffalo. And Uh, I wouldn't call it regression necessarily this season. I mean, Gabriel Davis was awesome. They've had a number of ways that they can move the ball. Dawson Knox got really hot in the middle of the season as well in 2021. So uh, going back to this last year, Diggs and Allen were just jams every single week. It came to fruition here and you didn't have Devin Singletary in his timeshare that he has now, but 
Um, you know, still finding ways to get all of the upside of that team into a single lineup. I think that that's something that I'm definitely taking away from some of the three gamers that I've seen lately from you. And uh, obviously Alex Baker winning a milli, you taking second there. That's definitely going to be a strategy you kind of want to be looking at. Now, this is the other portion of, of putting together this show and, and trying to talk through some of these plays. We've still got 20 minutes to go. And I think that this might be the most important thing that people can take away. And it's trying to find that one piece of getting different in lineups. Now, you had done, talked about, we talked about Jawan Jennings, 0.2% in yesterday's Millie Maker. For you, you, you know, it was, it was not necessarily as low owned, but Gabriel Davis was your lowest owned uh, skill position player rate around 11.7%. We had in that winning lineup, Freddie Swain, who we talked about. Now, this is all coming full circle because the winner for this lineup, there was a guy in Logan's, oh, it's not even, he's not even in the winning lineup here, but there was a guy in Cam Sims who was 6.4% in this tournament and put up 20.4. He was a massive point of leverage. And Jack Doyle at the tight end position, 4.5% at tight end, put up 22. Now, how do you on a small slate, on a shorter slate, figure out which players you really want to be taking an overweight approach to? And, you know, is it something where you're willing to embrace a lot of volatility by going over the field on some of these sub 10% plays that are admittedly not going to be good plays for a reason? Yeah. And you had Lenny in the winning lineup at 3% also. Um, yeah, I just saw that one. There we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all slate dependent and player dependent. Like I would say that for me personally, I typically don't go too crazy just like you know, taking some wild stand on let's like, let's, let's use Freddie Swain, for example. Okay. I thought he was a good play. Like I liked him in that lineup that won. I have no idea if I had a single Freddie Swain share yesterday. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm typically not just grabbing some 1% on guy and throwing him in 25% of my lineups and saying, all right, let's get lucky. Like, let's hopefully this works out. <laughs> um, but I think that it's a lot of it's like player dependent too. Like if you have uncertainty around somebody like um i don't know i don't remember what the circumstances were for leonard fournette in this game last year but let's just say that it was a game where ronald jones was active and you had fournette and nobody really knew what the workload was going to look like one thing that i think really happens especially on these shorter slates on a bigger slate if you have a situation like that you don't really have to worry about it right like chances are neither guy is going to come through you have plenty of other options to get to that are relatively low owned that are more likely to succeed on a slate like this. If you have question marks like that, where you don't really know who's going to get the work between Fournette and Jones, what you see happen a lot is nobody really plays Fournette. Nobody really plays Jones. Everybody just says like, okay, these guys are going to cancel each other out. And they ignore that. There's a large percentage of the time that either Fournette becomes the hot hand and gets a lot of touches or Jones becomes the hot hand and gets a lot of touches. Um, again, I don't know what happened in this game. I don't remember, but just using that as an example of the type of spot where I would be more inclined to just go heavy on low-owned guys because um, I, I think that a high percentage of the time, you know, they're not necessarily going to split. One of them is going to get the bulk of the work. That, that's the type of spot where I'd be more interested on in going heavy. Um, tight end, I know a common theme that we've talked about all year is being willing to go a little bit heavier on low-owned, cheap tight ends because there's just so much you know volatility at the position a lot of it's just going to come down to who gets in the end zone and um a lot of these guys you know have red zone equity touchdown equity even if they're not big you know guys between the 20s so um i like getting there that's where you know maybe somebody like a jack doyle comes in uh but also it, again overall it just kind of goes back to chances of success versus where the the field is like i know um 
one slate earlier in the year where it was an afternoon slate, I think with three or four games. Um, I, I think I finished like fourth. I didn't quite get there, but I know I took like a wildly big stand on Foster Moreau mm-hmm. on a slate where I don't remember if Waller was out or if he was limited or what the deal was. You're talking this, this season. Yeah. Yeah. We took the same stand, which is kind of ironic. Okay. He was like 3% or something. And I think he was like Waller- 11 on the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, uh, it would have been even like shorter, I think, on the main slate of the of the main one. Maybe not in the Millie, but in some of the stuff like $3, $9 that I was okay. playing a little bit more. I know he was like really low owned. Yeah, I remember there was a late slate where I played like 50, 60% more row or something. And I just thought he was obvious. And then like I he was like 11% owned or something. I was like, whoa, I didn't think that was where I was going to have like a huge stand. But it's like that kind of stuff where um, – I just thought he had a much better chance of success than whatever his projected ownership was. Uh, so it, it really just all comes back to that. But, you know, also kind of just trying to keep in mind, if I'm going to take a big stand on a low-owned guy, it's typically going to be somebody that I think within the course of the game has a chance to carve out a bigger role, more so than typically, more so than me just like picking some random third receiver and saying, okay, hopefully he gets the touchdown here. Yeah, so Neil Orfield brings up something really, I think, that is fascinating. Patrick Taylor was a good example of this yesterday. People scared away of the unknown. Well, you think about it, you had, and and again, I contemplated playing Patrick Taylor in cash. I played against a lot of people who played Patrick Taylor in cash, which is interesting. Um, I only played cash on one site yesterday. uh, And, and, you know, it was something where I wasn't going to play. I kind of talked myself into it very, very last minute to be, be able to fire up my cash lineup. I was going back and forth on it, but Patrick Taylor with no Aaron Jones there and AJ Dillon, you would assume is somebody that they wanted to put on bubble wrap. Well, they didn't really bubble wrap anybody in that game, which was fascinating, but uh, the unknown Patrick Taylor got there uh, at 4k, but maybe it gave up a running back spot and, you know, looking at some of the top tier running backs, Devin Singletary, James Conner, you definitely needed some of the more popular guys anyway to get to the top of a tournament 13 or 14 or whatever he ended up putting up. Wasn't a good example, but I still thought he was a really good play for tournaments. And I played a lot more of Patrick Taylor as a result of that um, because he was even like in play for that kind of a, a scenario. He had a ton of unknowns. You could talk yourself into the narrative. I think it was a mistake to play him in that kind of a scenario because there are so many things that could have happened where you're only getting a half of football. And I would much rather get an entire game of football from somebody. But uh, what did you think about Patrick Taylor yesterday into the context of looking at unknowns and how the field reacts to it? Yeah, I think that was a good example, too, because there was a good chance that he was just basically going to play the second half. But who knows? Like, maybe he was going to get, like, in the first half, what if they used A.J. Dillon in Aaron Jones' role and then they gave Patrick Taylor the A.J. Dillon role? Um, that's something that, you know, could have happened and would have made him look even better. So, yeah, I think that that was just, like, a good example from yesterday. Um, I think I was a little bit over the field on him uh, because there was plenty of upside, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just an example of, and, and you know, again, this plays a bigger role on smaller slates because there's just less alternatives, but keeping in mind, not only, you know, there, there's always volatility in a player's performance, you know, around his medium projection, but there's sometimes there's going to be players where it's just like, okay, well, their role isn't even certain here. And yeah, that means that the downside risk is probably higher, but also, what if they just play a lot more than anybody's expecting? You know, in that case, the median projection just would be entirely different. You know, like if you knew that mm-hmm. um, Patrick Taylor was going to play three quarters instead of two, he would just project completely differently as well. So like it just adds more volatility. And on the smaller slates, if you're getting that at low ownership, it becomes really appealing. And conversely, if you're getting it at high ownership, it becomes 
a spot that you should be willing to sort of say, okay, well, you know, if this mm-hmm. plays out against me, I'm just going to lose. But, you know, if three quarters of the field is going to assume that this guy's getting three quarters instead of two, uh, I can put myself in a good position by being somewhere else. I love that. Uh, I also love Jay Blake, the King coming in and just blowing up the super chat game. I mean, good Lord. What up guys wanted to drop this during the lineup review. Obviously I came to the show pretty late. Uh, you can rewind and check us out. Uh, just complimenting you because uh, what an absolute smash by you. Thank you guys for all the content you provide. Thank you for smashing yesterday for, for being in the discord, for being an active member here at Osmo. We appreciate you and, Man, what a lineup, what an absolute, what an absolute day for you. So happy for you. Congratulations, all of the niceties, because you're, yeah, this is just a, a great W. Love seeing it. And week 18 is just such a hard one to take down. So many moving parts, so many things. So really, really well done by you. Uh, let's let's kind of jump into prize picks because again, they are the presenting sponsor here. We'll jump right back into the wild card round review here and talk a little bit more of the nuances here, but got to talk about our sponsor prize picks, the presenting sponsor here of the wild card show and the week 18 review show. If you want to check out how to play daily props in a lot of States now in New York, you just got legalized sports betting. That's a beautiful thing. A lot of great promos we're running here through that, but prize picks is the best way for me out here in California for a lot of you in states where it's not legalized, to be able to go play props and do it in a really fun format. You play two, three, four, or five player lineups, and you can net up to 10x your entry fee. So even in those legal states, you have the opportunity to have a little bit of insurance placed for some of these five player lineups because you can get paid out if you get four or five right. You can get paid out a little bit of your money back if you get three or five right, where as if you don't go five or five at a sports book, you're dead. So download at the App Store or Google Play or, or just head to the desktop, prizepicks.com. Good stuff. We have a free player props tool for the NBA. Uh, NFL is kind of getting utilized in there now as well. Plus, oddshopper.com. That's going to give you all of the best lines. You can use that cross-reference it to go play over at Prize Picks. Plus, one free month of Awesome Plus Platinum when you sign up and make a deposit at Prize Picks. You'll get an email within you know a day or two. Redeem it for your free month of Awesome Plus Platinum. Uh, it doesn't get any easier than that. Definitely going to be uh, playing a lot over there during the wild card weekends. I think you guys should be too. So go sign up and thank you so much to them for being the presenting sponsor here. Uh, love doing shows for them. Super clean, super easy site to navigate. I know you'll enjoy it too. All righty, let's jump to a couple of the other little nuances we have here. So we talked through some of the stack combinations. Let's look at some exposures. Now, this is this is fun. We just get done talking about jamming lineups. MLB pros, I mind you, the guy played 150 lineups. He played 100% stop on Diggs and Josh Allen, the two chalkiest plays on the entire slate. What do you think about such a desire to do that? Because for me, why not just go all in if it's going to be chalk you want to get over on? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Oh, you have Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. This dude, MLB pros, played 150 lineups, and he just played 100% Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen like he's Rin Pack. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to, like, give a, a take without knowing, you know, what I thought going into that game or, like, if I thought they were on their own or over-owned or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I thought that a really popular Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs were still clearly the best plays um, at the ownership they were getting. There's no real path to go other than just having them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then Terry McLaurin, who had 14.3% ownership. He had 67.3% of 53.3% acres, Chris Carson, 44.7%. Now we're getting into Jonathan Taylor. 
conversation, which I think could have been had from yesterday. And I, I thought the Colts just laid the biggest egg you could possibly lay there. It was absurd how bad Carson Wentz was. Uh, if you're a, if you're an Eagles fan, you just have to be cackling, rolling a blunt, just enjoying your day today, because it is insane to me that somebody was able to, to kind of pull the hoodwicking that they did there with Indianapolis this season. And uh, maybe Carson Wentz was go- is still got something left there. He's, he had moments here this season, but Jonathan Taylor was a beast here. You said it's hard to really look at what you were thinking at this moment in time, but 7,900 here for Jonathan Taylor. He was the most expensive player here on this slate. You had him next to Stefan Diggs, who, you know, in his role, better game total. I mean, you had a 21.75 total there for the Colts. And for him to come in with 55.6% ownership after we had a projection around 37.7, he was obviously another piece of chalk that just got jammed in. Now, it's counterintuitive because I normally think that running back chalk is less volatile because volume is a lot more predictable than just straight out targets. But looking at Jonathan Taylor here, uh, when there's going to be chalking running backs over the weekend, what is kind of your thought process for how you go about looking at their chances of success compared to the field? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think that what MLB pros did here is something that I typically do a lot. When you look at the running backs here and, and their ownership, he basically, so you had Jonathan Taylor at 56%, you had acres at 47, you had Carson at 29. He basically ended up around the field on acres, the middle guy, he ended up playing Taylor relatively close to where Carson came in, and then he played Carson relatively close to where Taylor came in. So um, that's something that I, I do a decent amount. And then also, if you look, like if you compare Taylor and Diggs, the two, the top end running back and the top end receiver, um, he played a similar amount total to the field. The field was on Diggs at 73%. The field played Taylor at 56%. Uh, you had MLB pros go a bit under the field on Taylor, a bit over on Diggs. That's something that typically happens for me as well, uh, where basically what I would assume the case is, is that he thought Diggs had D- Diggs's chances of success relative to his ownership looked better than Taylor's relative to his. So Taylor gets pushed down, Diggs gets pushed up. Um, and then similarly within the running backs, you know, Carson probably looked a little bit better. Uh, compared to his ownership than Taylor did. Akers probably looked like he was coming in around where he was supposed to. And the result is just you kind of get like, you start sort of flipping the field, which um, is something that ends up happening for me a lot as well. Yeah, that happens a lot for me in baseball. And maybe this is just kind of a talking point of all DFS kind of, if you learn how to play DFS in one sport, you can learn how to do it in others. You'll have a slate with like, Woodruff, Nola, and Scherzer, and one will be facing the Marlins, and another one will be facing the Yankees, and another one will be facing, you know, some middling team. And you just kind of like rotate the ownership based on what you you expect it to be because everybody's going to attack the pitcher that is going up against the Marlins. And, you know, all three have amazing strikeout stuff. But, uh, you know, if somebody gets crazy rolling, you know, you're going to probably need that person and kind of play a little bit more of the ownership game. I think with running back where it's kind of that same thing, it's pretty predictable. Obviously, there are slight tweaks and it's a little bit different. And, and you know, it's it's got its own process for that. But I kind of look at it that same way. So I like the way that you put that out. Akers, Carson Taylor, you can see very clearly that just by minute differences in your 150 lineup. So if you're playing the mini max and you're trying to find how do I find an edge? I think that this is a really clear cut way of doing it, being a little bit lower on whoever that chalkiest running back might be and finding paths to some of these other guys. So you can see in his main lineup that ended up taking it down, you have uh, Cam Akers, who ends up showing in more of those lineups. You have the opportunity to get uh, some more wide receiver flex stuff. You you don't necessarily have to get as different, um, you know, outside of, of just jamming in a chalky Jonathan Taylor. 
uh, along with a, a chalky Stefan Diggs. That also brought down his total ownership and looks like a really, really nice way to just get different inherently immediately. Um, looking at, did, I'm, I'm curious, did you end up playing this tournament? I didn't even go through and look no at idea. that. Okay. Probably you said? I, I said, I have no idea. No, I didn't. Uh, I have no idea either. I, that would be a good thing to maybe look at before we started the show, but we've got just over five minutes left here. So uh, we'll kind of round it into form here. Anything else that you want to talk about when it comes to some of these short slates, we've talked about stacks, how to go about building those, how to look at some of the running back plays, how to find some lower owned pieces and be able to put those in without being stupid on these slates. Anything else you want to add? Um, so from a rule standpoint, I know it's something people ask about a lot. I think basically the way that I think about it and you and it helps when you're trying to kind of think about what rules to relax. Whenever you talk about correlation, whenever you talk about rules in building lineups, you know that you can win a tournament, even having some negative correlation in your lineup, even having, you know, some stuff that, that isn't perfect. I kind of just try and think about like on shorter slates, you don't want, because you don't have to be as perfect to win a small slate, obviously, like um, in terms of, um, you know, a, a defense against your wide receiver or, or yep. whatever. Um, so I kind of just try and think, I, I try and relax like the rules that I think are the least important, like on a full slate, I like on a full slate, I prefer not having my defense with the quarterback or pass catchers from the same team, because in theory, if the defense is playing well, the team's passing less on a smaller slate. I don't really care. There's still a lot of ways that can work out. Defense pick six still ends up being a competitive game. Uh, offense is playing till the end, you know, whatever. So that kind of stuff um, I'm more willing to relax. I still probably don't want like two running backs from the same team because outside of really weird scenarios, uh, they're probably not both getting there unless one gets hurt. Uh, you know, especially it depends who you're talking about, but you know, if we're assuming like an actual backup running back and the starter. Um, so stuff like that, I'd be like less inclined to relax. So um, I, I think it's kind of just like, there's a fine line between you don't want to prevent yourself from creating the winning lineup basically. Um, but you do still want your lineups to make some sense. Yeah. Looking at the defense. Uh, so you just brought up a great point with that. Looking at the defenses. This was one of those slates where if you didn't have the Rams defense, you were dead. Every other defense had between zero and four fantasy points. In order to find that top end, you needed to have the Rams defense. Now, that came in addition to Cam Akers. That came in addition to, you know, just being able to, to go against some of these Seattle players that garnered more attention. It was in Seattle. They were favored. Rams had an under a 20 team total, but defense is volatile. And obviously, there are players on the Rams defense, whether it's Ramsey or Donald, who did exist there at the end of last season, that can really cause some problems there. And, and there was definitely a path for a guy who drops back as much as uh, Russell Wilson to as much analysis as you want to put into it. There is a path for just about every single defense that's in the playoffs. They're in the playoffs for a reason. And you don't want to remove yourself from having an opportunity to get to some of those defenses because you have a rule where you know, you, you have zero max players on a spot where a pick six occurs. So uh, do you kind of go to like max one or two on these three gamer slates, or do you just kind of open it wide open to like max five? I, I usually do max two. Um, okay. I don't hate the idea of saying uh, no quarterbacks with the opposing defense. Okay. That one kind of can be like, it, it's still it's, I, it's that, close. Yeah. That, that one's borderline for me. Cause like you, you can, it's on the, the edge of, because the other reason that I don't want to set too many rules on shorter slates is everything that is negatively correlated also is typically going to be lower owned. So you're getting that trade-off where it's like, okay, this isn't perfect, but if it happens to work out, nobody else built this lineup and I just win. 
you know, so mm -hmm. th there's that trade off as well. Um, typically, though, I would rather like I, I think I normally set, you know, not to play a quarterback with my defense because you're, you're really walking kind of like you're trying to walk like a perfect line there where it's like, OK, yeah. well, my quarterback throws a pick six um, and then torches the defense. You know, so it's like, yeah, OK, uh, that could <laughs> happen, but I would probably probably rather just have a different defense. Cam Akers, uh, his his price is fifty one hundred for this contest. If you remember back to last season, again, I was just going through box scores from last year to remind myself, but he ended up getting the backfield right around week 15 last season. He got really, really hot towards the end of last season, which is kind of an interesting thing to be looking at right before we're going to get a Rams playoff game this weekend, because, you know, in the back of my mind, that's something you just vividly remember. He got mixed in a little bit yesterday, so we'll see if he gets in, involved quite a bit. I doubt it's going to be in any kind of a major capacity, but uh, once again, that's going to be some stuff like Leonard Fournette who got you to the top of this tournament. And just to review, we had in this very top lineup, Josh Allen, Cam Akers, Leonard Fournette, DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs. So you had a basically a skinny stack. You had the one run back here from Michael Pittman here, uh, Logan Thomas, Chris Godwin in the Rams defense, 49, eight. It was a unique lineup. It only left $200 of salary on the table. He had 3.3% Leonard Fournette, 7% Michael Pittman. There are ways to get different without getting stupid on three-game slates. That's just so important to remember. You do not need to be burning money into the atmosphere trying to make dumb lineups. That is a pretty clear-cut path to losing your bankroll over a long period of time. Of course, you're trying to hit one lineup. You're trying to just bank the one. You want to be the guy who enters one lineup and wins it all back. But uh, Adam, any final words for the people on this slate? No, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that that kind of covers it here as well. We've got a lot of content here coming on later in the day. So be on the lookout. We've got the Awesome Betting Show. That's going to be, well, even before that, we have Lafayette and James. They're going to be doing best ball strategy at 12 p.m. Eastern time. They're getting going right now. So uh, that's going to be exciting. We've got the Awesome Betting Show. Uh, that'll be coming up with Aton and Ben and, uh, ben and Makajewski. So check that out here as well. Prize Picks College Football Show. That's going to be an exciting one tonight. Definitely tune in for that at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time with Nick Vanek and uh, Makajewski. NBA Deeper Dive. Man, you're busy today, sir. Uh, you're on with Lofty there for the NBA Deeper Dive at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Josh and Greg doing live before lock at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And then at 7.05 p.m. Eastern time, that national championship game preview. Ben and Makajewski doing a prize pick show. So excited to, to be able to have some prize picks. For that there as well. Adam, thank you so much. Congratulations on the big hit yesterday. Thank you so much to Jordan Klein behind the virtual glass. Getting it all done here. This was a complex one. Really, really informative, though. Excited to, to be able to share that with you guys. I'm Eric Lindquist. Thank you so much to Prize Picks. Best of luck this weekend. <laughs>